<coughs> hey, Matthew, chapter 5 this morning. <coughs> Excuse me. Matthew, chapter 5, and <coughs> let's read from, read from verse 13, where Samuel read for us. <coughs> Matthew, chapter 5, and verse 13. It says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost his savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's give me a time to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you once more for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for the wonderful truths contained therein. I pray that this morning you would take your word and apply it to each of our hearts and our lives, that, Lord, you would teach us and instruct us through it. I pray that, Lord, you would give me wisdom and guidance as I speak, that you would empower me through the Spirit. And that, Lord, it would be your words, your thoughts this morning, your understanding of the passage. And that, Lord, you would receive all the glory, the honor, and the praise. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, we've been <clears throat> looking at some of our Lord's parables um, parable sayings first of all and then we started looking at the parable similitudes that our Lord used while here on earth and if you remember last time we looked at the, the parable similitude that's given to us here in verse 13 ye are the salt of the earth and so we considered uh, that that parable similitude there that metaphor if you like for believers des describing us as salt and we talked about how this highlights the value that we are unto this sinful world. Now, we're valuable because like salt, we have a preserving effect upon the world. We slow the rot and the decay of this sinful world. We're also valuable because like salt, we have a seasoning effect upon the world. As we live God's word before men, we are a blessing unto them by our conduct, our attitude, our words. But of course, if we lose our saltiness, if we become marred, by the world then we lose our effectiveness for christ and, and the lord says there that we're we're fit to be just cast out in the street we're good for nothing we've lost our effectiveness and this morning now we come to see that christ adds adds to this immediately another parable similitude in verse 14 it says ye are the light of the world the city that sit on the hill cannot be and so the Lord has given us this uh, parable similar to ye are the, the salt of the earth. And then immediately he adds another one. Ye are the light of the world. And as we talked about with salt, you know, the Lord here <clears throat> once more takes something that, you know, he's taken for granted. I mean, lights, we use it every single day. He takes something we take for granted and he uses it to teach us uh, principles concerning our life as believers. Commentator Butler noted this. He said, <clears throat> about the only time we think about the importance of light is when the electricity goes off for a while as the result of a storm or other reason. 
Yet without light, we would surely be in a fix. Uh, Ryle instructively said, he said, of all things created, light is the most useful. It was the first thing called into being, and without it, the world would be a gloomy place. You see, light is indeed the most important of all of God's creation in that sense, isn't it? It's the thing that we use the most. We use it every single day and we take it for granted. You know, it's of immense value unto mankind. But of course, our Lord here is speaking about more than just physical light. He declares that as believers, we are a spiritual light unto this world. You know, this metaphor here perfectly complements the previous metaphor concerning salt. Now, we said that salt has this preserving effect. It slows the decay of the world, even when we can't see it. Now, we talked about how its effects are known, though often unseen. But light, on the other hand, has a very visible effect, doesn't it? You know, you turn the light on and the darkness flees. There is a very visible effect as it chases the darkness away. And so with that in mind this morning, consider first of all with me the, the world's need of light. The world's need of light. So let's just read there again, verse 14. <clears throat> it says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hid. You know, Christ's declaration here at the start of verse 14, ye are the light of the world. Before anything else, it immediately tells us that the world needs light, doesn't it? Before anything else, it, it tells us that wonderful truth that re reveals that truth unto us. You know, in the Word of God, light often speaks of knowledge, knowledge of God and, and having a relationship with Him, knowing the truth about God and who He is. You know, the world is in darkness. The world does not know God. The world <coughs> has no relationship with Him. They have no understanding of His righteousness, no understanding of His love, His grace, His mercy, His holiness. And so instead, the world is lost in the darkness of sin. They are in unbelief. You know, this darkness is a truth that we find taught in numerous passages throughout the Word of God. For instance, in Acts chapter 26, we see the Lord calling Paul to the ministry. Let's just turn there. <clears throat> this is Paul relating uh, the events later in his life. Acts chapter 26. <clears throat> excuse me. And verse 14. It says, And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in, in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And here we see uh, the Lord calling Paul to the ministry and, and he tells Paul that his ministry is to uh, lead people out of darkness to light from the power of Satan. And so that's the state that, that man was in under the power of Satan in this state of darkness. The Lord tells Paul, he says, you're sent to open their eyes to turn them from that darkness unto the lights. 
This was his purpose, to bring them to know God, bring them to understand who God is, to bring them to the truth. Turn them from darkness to light. We see this darkness spoken about again in Colossians chapter 1, where we see that without Christ, mankind is under the power of darkness. Just turn there, Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, it says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Again, it talks about before salvation, the state we're in, we're under the power of darkness. See, darkness is the perfect description of man's state, lost estate. You know, they're separated from God, they're ignorant of His love, ignorant of His grace and His mercy, ignorant of their sin, ignorant of the fact that their sin is condemning them to hell. Indeed, mankind is stumbling in darkness straight into hell, straight into eternity separated from God. You know, one commentator wrote this, he said, With great advances scientifically, medically, agriculturally, biologically, and in other material areas, the world thinks that it has removed the darkness. But it has only increased the moral and spiritual darkness. It's true, isn't it? You know, we talk about the, the dark ages, you know, when mankind didn't really know much. And now we've come out of that. We're so enlightened today. That's how the world thinks of themselves, as being enlightened because of all these advances, because of all this knowledge that we have. But that knowledge is not of God, is it? And the problem is that the moral and the spiritual darkness is only increasing as we get further away from the Lord. And you know, Satan would love nothing more than to keep men in this state of darkness. Now, 2 Corinthians tells us that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, turn there with me. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 4 and verse 4, it says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse there, 4 there, it talks about the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. And then verse 6, it talks about how God has commanded the light to shine out of darkness. You see, Satan has blinded the minds of those who believe not. He's blinded them and he, he works hard to keep men in that state of darkness, that state of ignorance lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine in their hearts. You see, mankind is in desperate need of light. And Christ here, with this parable saying, declares that we are that light. He says, ye, talking about believers, ye are the light of the world. You see, the idea is that we have this responsibility of chasing the darkness away in that sense. We have the responsibility of showing mankind the light of truth. But of course, you know, we're not a light in and of ourselves, are we? This light doesn't just generate from us. Indeed, we are a light because of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 talks about that. 
Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 verse 8 says, Ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Puts it very clear, doesn't it? It says, But now are ye light in the Lord. We are light in Him. We're light in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just of ourselves, it's of Him. It's His light that we are reflecting unto others, isn't it? It's His light. For he himself is the true and original light of the world. I mean, Christ himself taught that. Go to John with me. John chapter 8. I know we're turning a few passages this morning. John chapter 8. And verse 12. It says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And if you turn over chapter 9 as well in verse 5, Christ again says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Christ himself said, I am the light of the world. Talking about himself, he, he says, I am the source of this light. And we are the light of the world in a secondary sense, aren't we? Christ is the light of the world. He is the source We are the light of the world in a secondary sense in the fact that we reflect Him. We reflect His light unto the world. Henriksen wrote this, he said, He is the sun. Christians resemble the moon, reflecting the sun's light. Apart from Christ, they cannot shine. The electric bulb does not emit light at all by itself. It imparts light only when connected and turned on. So also, as long as Christ's followers remain in living contact with the original light, they are light to others. You see, Christ is, if you like, the sun, and we are the moon reflecting his light. He is the the electricity. He is the source for us to shine. You see, Christ is reflected through us. That's the point here. And this is the truth that Paul declared there in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, which we read before, where he said, The true light hath shined in your hearts. True light has shined in our hearts as believers, and now we are to reflect that light unto the world around us. You know, if we're going to do this effectively, then we must remain in close fellowship with the source of the light. We have to remain in close fellowship with our Lord and Saviour. Indeed, the, the, closest our, the closer our relationship is, the brighter our light will be. That's, that's the wonderful truth. The closer we are to Him, the brighter our light will be. The further we get from him, the, the duller that light will become. And in verse 16 here of our present passage, Christ describes our light that we're shining unto this dark world. He describes it as good works. Go back to our present passage, Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Christ says, Let your light show, so shine before men that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so Christ describes our light here shining. He says it's good works. That's what they're going to see in us. And the good works that he's talking about here are the result of us being born again. It's the result of us being new creatures in Christ Jesus. We have a a new nature. We have the Holy Spirit now within. And these good works are the result of our close relationship with the Lord. 
and the work of the Spirit changing us from within. Butler writes this, he says, That which is to shine is our life in Christ. Our Christian character and convictions, the fruits of the indwelling Spirit, and our faith in Christ are to shine. All these produce good works. They produce a godly life, holy behavior, an upright mind, mouth, and manners. These are the light the world needs. You see, that's what we're talking about here. It's this change that happened at salvation, and then as we are sanctified and become more like Christ, that's what men are to see, those good works, that change in us. They're to see the truth lived out before their eyes. You know, Ephesians 2 verse 10 makes it clear that this is what we were saved to do, doesn't it? Just turn there quickly, Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2 makes it clear this is what we're saved to do. We We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Created, made new creatures to be a light unto the world. Reflecting Christ, the light of truth. And so this is our responsibility. The world is in darkness. They are in desperate need of light. And it's our responsibility to be that light. We see secondly here, the believer's light now illustrated for us. The believer's light illustrated Go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. It says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. As we read on now, we see that Christ now gives us two illustrations to help us understand better what it means to let our light shine before men. And the first illustration is of a city situated on a hill. We read it there in verse 14. It says, A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. And so this is the first illustration here, this idea of a city that's on a hilltop that cannot be hid. The point is clear. You know, a city that's on a hill is out in the open, isn't it? It's out in the open. It's easily seen by everyone from all directions, seen from a distance. It's especially visible at night. You know, when the lights are on and the city is illuminated, it's even more visible from a distance. And the idea is that there is nothing that can be done to hide the existence of that city. And Christ uses this illustration here to teach us as believers that we are to live lives that attract attention. Attract attention to the work of God in us. He uses this illustration to teach us that our light before men is to be like that city on a hill. It's to be easily seen. We're to easily be distinguished from the crowd. It's to be obvious to all that we are a believer. That is the thing that should stand out about every single one of us, whether it's at school or in a workplace or in our unsafe family. The thing that should stand out is that we are a believer. That's what we should be known for before anything else, that we're a Christian. We should stand out. Our faith is to be clearly evident unto all by the change in us, by our holy life, our holy conversation, our conduct before men. It's also to be clear by our refusal to 
you know, take part in the darkness of the world. Our refusal to have a part in that. And so we stand apart. We're different. We are easily seen, easily identified. Now, this is what we've seen in 1 Peter chapter 2 on Wednesday evenings. Just turn over there, 1 Peter 2. <clears throat> In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, it says the Lord, sorry, that's 2 Peter. Helps if you're in the right chapter. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, but we are, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil, speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, Peter here declares the same truth, doesn't he? You know where he got it from. He's taking the Lord's words and he's teaching them unto us. You can see it clearly evident here. It's the same truth, just in slightly different terms. Now in verse 9, he speaks about how we are God's people, God's special, peculiar people. And he says we are to demonstrate it by the way that we live. We are to demonstrate that God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous lights. We are to stand out from the crowd. And in verse 11 and 12, he says that this means abstaining from the lusts of the flesh and walking honestly before men. Walking a godly life, having a different conduct from the world. And again, notice there in verse 12, it says that it's our good works that they are to behold. It says at the end of the verse there, that they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. It's the exact same truth, isn't it? The same idea. We are saved. We are now this peculiar people. We are a light. And we're to shine forth. We're to easily be identified. Abstaining from the lust of the flesh. Standing apart. And being holy under the Lord. You see, our light is to be clearly visible unto men. And so we're called to be a, a city on a hill. Our faith is to be clear and visible for all to see. And then Christ gives us the second illustration of a candle. Look in verse 15 with me. It says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Now with this second illustration, Christ again emphasizes the idea that the need for us to shine forth, to be clearly visible. But he also clearly shows us here the foolishness of trying to hide our lights. And Christ points to the image here of a candle being lit to provide light for the house and the need for that light to be put in a prominent position. Read there in verse 15, it says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. Now the word translated candle here actually means lamp. It means lamp and it describes the, the little oil lamps that the people would use in those days in their houses, these Little oil lamps that they would light in the evening to provide lights. And Christ here makes the point. He says, when you light that lamp at night, you don't then go and obstruct that light by putting it under a bushel. Now, the bushel here was a grain measure, an earthen pot 
that most people had in their houses. And so Christ is speaking about the foolishness of hiding that light, that lamp under the earthen pot. You've lit it, you've provided light, and you've taken the pot and put it on top. And you've obstructed the light. You've defeated the whole purpose of lighting that lamp in the first place. It becomes useless. You see, for the lamp to accomplish its purpose, it must be placed on the candlestick or the lampstand. We see there in verse 15. The lampstand was a designated place within the house where the lamp was put each evening to provide the best light for the whole house, for the the whole room. Because most houses were one room in those days. Uh, Henriksen writes this, he says, Such a lampstand was generally a very simple object. It might be a shelf extending from the pillar in the center of the room or a single stone projecting inward from the wall. But the point is, there was always one designated place. They built a special place for the lamp in that room. And that's where you put the lamp. That's where you left it. It was the designated place because it was least obstructed there. It provided the best light. Christ says at the end of the verse, he says, And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. When it's put in its proper place, it gives light unto all with the obstructions removed. It accomplishes its purpose. You see, Christ's point here is that like a lamp, we need to make sure that we don't obstruct our light. We don't allow obstructions to hinder our effectiveness and our ability to be a light shining in this dark world. You know, our light must be put in its prominent position so that it can provide the best light unto this dark world. You know, our light can be obstructed in numerous ways, can't it? It can be obstructed by sin, allowing sin into our lives, you know, putting other things before the Lord, becoming worldly, living for the pleasures of this life, the things of this life. Now, when we do that, when we become worldly, we're just like the world. We're no different. We're hiding our light. It's obstructed from view. You know, sadly, it's also true that we can obstruct our light. We can hide our light on purpose, can't we? We can hide our light on purpose out of fear of persecution. You know, this is something we are ashamed to admit, but it's a reality that there are times when we are tempted to remain silent about our faith for fear of ridicule, for fear of being rejected by men. And so we hide our faith under a bushel, don't we? We hide it away. We hide it. We, we try to act instead like we fit in with everyone else and we remain silent about our faith. Now, the foolishness of this response can be seen clearly in Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. <clears throat> Let's turn there, Romans. <clears throat> in Romans 8 verse 31... We read this, it says, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? I mean, that sums up the foolishness of being afraid of man. The foolishness of, you know, hiding our light out of fear of man because God's on our side. If God be for us, who can be against us? With God on our side, we truly have no reason to fear, do we? We have no reason to let our light shine. If we obey his command and we let our light shine forth, we know God's with us. We know God's watching over us and we have nothing to fear. 
We have no reason to fear what men may do unto us. Psalm 118 verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what men may do unto me. You see, fear is something that we can all struggle with at times. But with God, we have no reason to fear. That's something we have to remember, isn't it? We have no reason to fear, man. We have no reason to fear what they may do unto us. Therefore, let us boldly let our light shine before men so that it might accomplish the purpose that Christ wants it to. And that's our third point this morning, the purpose of our light. The purpose of our light. Look there again in Matthew 5, verse 16. It says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Christ concludes this, this parable here by stating clearly for us the purpose. The purpose of letting our light shine brightly before men. He says it's so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Give glory to God. You know, this phrase, glorify God, Barnes writes that it means to praise or honor God and be led to worship Him, seeing in your lives the excellency of religion and the power and purity of the gospel. They may be one to be Christians also and give praise and glory to God for His mercy to a lost world. You see, the point of us boldly living our faith before men is not so that others might praise us. It's rather so they may see Christ in us, the hope of glory. That they would see what God has done in us and what God has done for us, and they themselves might desire to have the same thing. They might come to Christ before it is eternally too late. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, Christ condemned the Pharisees for their good works because they did it for all the wrong reasons, didn't they? Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 it says, take heed that you do not do, uh, sorry, that you do not your arms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your father, which is in heaven. And he goes on and he condemns the Pharisees for their good works. And the reason is that their good works was all about themselves. They wanted glory for themselves. They were motivated by pride. You know, the motivation for letting our light shine, these good works before men, is not pride. It's, seeking, it's not seeking praise and glory for, from man for ourselves. Rather, we are motivated by our love for the Lord. We're motivated by our love for Him and our desire, our passion, that the world may come to know Him. Spurgeon wrote this. He said, The object of our shining is not that men may see how good we are, not even see us at all, but that they may see grace in us and God in us and cry, what a father these people must have. Yeah, that sums it up perfectly. That's what we want men to see. They want, we want them to see Christ in us and go, what a God these people must have. What a father they must have. See, mankind is stumbling in the darkness of sin. They have no knowledge of God. They have no knowledge of their sin and their eternal destiny. They're lost in the darkness of sin. But beloved, we... We are the light of the world. This is our calling. This is our purpose. Let us therefore boldly let our light shine brightly before men so they might come to Him before it's eternally too late. Now we said at the start that these two parables, salt and light, go together. 
Salt speaks of the often silent, unseen effect that our presence, our godliness has upon the world, preserving it, slowing the decay, and being a blessing unto it. Light speaks of our bold, open, visible testimony of Christ and the truth unto this lost and dying world. Beloved, may we indeed be both salt and light unto this world. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word once more this morning. We thank you, Lord, for these two parable similitudes. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Now, Lord, it is a great responsibility that's been placed upon us, but Lord, may you help us each every day to be a light unto this world, to let our light shine, be bold in showing our faith by the way that we live. May men see our good works and be led to glorify you. Lord, work in each of our hearts today. Challenge us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.